0: The Science and Art of Pricing podcast is for those business people who want to tackle the mysteries of pricing products and services. As we discuss the challenging world of pricing, we'll hear from some of the greatest minds, share practical tips and best practices on how to use pricing to create a competitive advantage. Thanks for listening. Today, my guest is Ajit Guman, one of the global experts in pricing and monetization in the software industry. Ajit is the author of the book called Price to Scale, which is widely considered the best book on how to price software products. Ajit has worked in various leadership positions, such as Director of Pricing and Packaging at Twilio, Pricing Chair at Pavilion, and several others. Currently, he's the founder of Monetizely. It's really a pleasure having you, Ajit. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much, Miku.
1: Thanks so much for taking the time.
0: Your book, Price to Scale, is one of my favorite books in the topic of pricing. I could show you almost every page is underlined or marked. Lots of great information. The book starts out with positioning as Mm. the foundation for packaging and pricing. Why is positioning so critical in the pricing process? You mentioned in the book that Most pricing problems aren't pricing problems at all. They're positioning problems. How do Mm -hmm. you suggest pricing managers think about pricing through the lens of positioning? Great
1: question. I would say positioning and also like most pricing problems are not pricing problems. They may be positioning problems or business problems, right? I visualize pricing as sort of a lever that sort of fits at the end to get the whole machine moving. But if your machine isn't there, then the lever can't really do much. To help so positioning like my background has been mostly in product marketing in software companies once you have done the marketing role rather than a you know specific pricing manager role you realize that a lot of the conversation of price forgetting the structure of the pricing is really about how something is being conveyed and how big somebody else's wallet is (laughs) these two factors Mm -hmm. so If you are selling to defense industry or government, for example, or somebody that has a lot of money, somehow software magically tends to become more expensive for those people. And if it you're selling something to a plumber, somehow the same software will magically become cheaper for that person. So the software did not change, it's just the wallet size changed. And what the person read that made them feel, okay, this is right for me. You know this for is right for me as a plumber, or this is right for me as a defense agency, or you know governmental agency. It's really, it's really that. Right? As long as the positioning resonates, that positioning is then providing access to the mind space to the buyer, who has the big wallet or the right sized wallet. Yeah, we're moving into
0: packaging now, and so packaging in a mind is inseparable from pricing. Mm-hmm. Most pricing managers know that in the SaaS world. You have varying willingness to pay for various features, but often you don't have hugely different use cases. Most customers really subscribe to the the software to get the same job done. For example, a CRM software to manage marketing prospects and leads. What would be the process of creating packages? When do you use a good, better, best? When would you use a a base plus add-ons,
1: a modular approach? We actually even teach this in a whole like varied spectrum in our course on SaaS pricing. I I do it with another pricing expert called Jan Pasternak. Between each other, we also differ in, you know, opinions on this matter. Here is where I stand, right? I start with the customer segmentation and I say, ideally, I'd like to start with creating one package each for each customer segment that is properly defined. That gets me to do a couple of things that lets me force the thinking on segmentation. Because 100% out of 100% of every company I've ever worked at and every client I've ever had has not properly defined their segmentation or has not revised the segmentation recently. That creates the problem in the packaging and that creates the problem in the go-to-market process and it just cascades from there. Sometimes people will say, I want to do packaging and they start with good, better, best. I really don't condone that for this exact reason because if you have not done the thinking of what your segmentation is, then is it going to help you or hurt you? And in my book, I talk about like the mixed panel, not mixed panel, side use case in which everybody was just using like let's say the same package because it was not clear to other people what the other packages were, who were they for. And I just recorded, I published a podcast with the CEO of Invoca, Greg Johnson, and he basically says the same thing. The, he was mentioning that they were able to create packages not just for the segmentation, but even for people who are transitioning from another customer to their platform or in so, so they were even granularly segmenting out and creating packages for for niche segments I think he was mentioning that was a previous company called Salesforce or previous employer office so that I really resonate with as long as you map your se- packages to the segmentation and then you sort of do a needs ranking I with every client I work with I do an exercise where I list down the features and I say, OK, let's map the features to the different needs of the segments and say, what is it that they need more? Like, do, do, do they just add value to them or does this not? Now that I've done that, I can convert that into a package because I know what they think is par for the course and what they will pay more money for. And then that will tell me what my add ons are going to be. That will tell me what my basic expected features are going to be. This process may result in me having good, better, best. This process may result in me having base plus add-on or modular, but I like to go it from the market down to this discovering this answer, rather than choosing a model and going up because sometimes the information is missed, but you can also choose a model and go up because you will just say, okay, I have an enterprise. Let's say I have an enterprise motion. I choose modular and now I'll build the whole module thing. Then I learn something. Maybe I'll change it later. Or if you are just starting in SaaS, I may start with good, better, best, and say, okay, I'm going to learn. But the key point, even there, is make sure you learn. If you're starting with good, better, best, and your third package is never sold, or you know you, people don't, they are not selecting your most expensive stuff, or your features are not used. So if you're not tracking that, then there's no point in using good, better, best. And again, eight out of ten companies are not tracking exactly what's happening to their packages after they've changed it, and only after a few years they're like. Is this is not working. This thing keeps happening. We keep shooting ourselves in the foot. Then they do the analysis. Then they find out that this thing has been happening for a long time. So either way is fine as long as you are learning and iterating from this whole experience.
0: What would you put in a base? What is it normally that you put in a base? Is it an essential that they want? Is it the one that they would pick every time? Yeah. How do you decide what you put into the base and how do you put it how do you decide what would you put into a an add
1: on, for example? Yeah. For a given customer segment, I would say the base is the sort of the MVP, right? The lowest common denominator, less than which they are not really going to want to buy your product. And even for that segment, there may be variations within that segment of customers. So you are trying to say within an enterprise segment, which is itself a large segment, this is roughly everybody's going to need. Something some people will need add-ons for, but not all of the people are going to need that add-on. So I therefore have an opportunity that the people for whom that add-on is required, I can monetize it more so I can increase the area under the curve and make more money for myself and also provide the option for people not to get that thing that is extraneous because you can do, if you did not do this, you would have two options. Either you would just include the add-on, like basic features and then you would miss out on customers that wanted the extra stuff. Or you would create one package for enterprise and everybody would force to have that. And then there will be people who say, well, I don't really use the five things you told me, right? So give me a discount uh, because Mm -hmm. it's not fair that I pay for all of that. Therefore, you're going to see that dynamic. So this is just a way to right size that curve based Mm -hmm. on the most commonly occurring needs and more sporadically occurring needs. And then I would say you also want to choose the add-on that helps your upsell and sales expansion motion right even after doing this exercise you can have a lot of add-ons so you may want to limit the add-ons to focus on the ones that are high roi for your reps and your sales process like i'm assuming if you're saying it's a direct sales motion for them for it to be an economical one so something is not high volume it's not clear to me that that will be a high an add-on either because you're adding every time you create an add-on you also add scope creep you add more complexity to the sales process. So it's a little bit of an art, essentially. Let's switch gears, talk about pricing structure. How important is it
0: to get the pricing structure right? How would a pricing manager determine the most optimal pricing structure? At a high level, your book mentions consumption models versus capability models. What are the big differences between those? Yeah. And how would you pick the right one?
1: Yeah, so I, I call it, I refer to it as pricing metric uh so consumption capability really is about the key metric by which your customer is paying a simple analogy is uh a consumption model is sort of like a taxi and a mm-hmm. capability model is like buying a car in the last two years a lot of companies were very interested in selling consumption-based pricing because growth was taking off there were low interest rates and they really wanted they wanted to ride with that growth so there was a little bit of a popularity of consumption-based models. But the thing is that they're right for some people and not right for other people. If you are bought as, let's say, a CRM, if you're bought as you know, Salesforce or what have you, companies will buy some of these products because they need the capability. And ERP and CRM are considered the things that everybody buys. Sooner or later, it becomes a de facto. right? In that case, it's not, like I haven't logged into my CRM for, let's say, a month, but I still am paying for it. So that's a capability but if i for example more with aws storage or the the elastic servers i am only using them when i really need it and so that is more of a consumption when i'm not using it i'm not paying for the consumption now there is even within that there is a little bit of a mix but those are the two ends of the spectrum right so i i want to figure out what really is the essence of how people perceive my product A mistake would be that people perceive my product as a capability, but I get interested and I say, oh, I want to sell it as consumption-based pricing because maybe I will get something more. But be careful because everything basically is about the customer's perception. That is even true for positioning. Now, when it comes to picking the pricing metric, you really are balancing two things. What works for the customer and what works for you. The customer may have an established way of buying a certain kind of product. They may buy by seats. they may buy by call center agent. And if you provide more innovation, they may not even adopt it in the pricing model. On the other hand, there may be customers that buy a different way. And if you're offering by seat, it may not fit for them. So you have to figure out what your customer prefers and how they measure the ROI. So there's how they budget, but also how they measure the ROI.
0: Is it in terms of the, does the customer consider it a fair way to price? Yeah what you're referring to
1: yeah yeah i mean does it align with them winning a contact center software would be like a cost centers sort of product like this is my cost to serve the customer however if it's a product that is doing support in app and you have a mobile app and i covered this example in my book also and if you're selling to product managers then you're i'm saying that this is going to help you increase your monthly active users now suddenly i've changed that from a cost based product to a profit and revenue based product because I can increase MAU now I'm aligned to your success and I can charge much more based on that different metric so if you are not locked in to that buyer have thinking a certain way and maybe your buyer is different then you can play around with that and align to when they win because that very often has more upside for you when the customer win versus when you are saying I want a f- amount of your fixed budget that you've allocated for something. I think a lot of the pricing managers are looking for
0: these little cues in deciding on the right pricing metric, mm-hmm. really. So it's one thing to, to be innovative yeah. about it, but it's another thing that it may not align with the customer's expectations. It may not help them win. It may be one-sided.
1: I appreciate some of these thoughts. Conversely, it may help them and it may be really good for them, but it may not be good for you. And so you're sort of also doing the math at your end saying, will I make money for this? And again, if it was like a capability sort of software like CRM, right? A lot of people get enticed by saying, oh, I will just sell this on a usage-based basis and I will get a lot of acquisition. But if you do not get the acquisition, which would have been a lot, lot for you to make the same number of amount of money, you lose a lot of revenue, right? Especially if you're moving from an established model. Many times the consumption-based model is more readily used by startups. So if you're going to lose a lot of money, you have to think carefully whether a change like that would make sense for you. Or you may decide like, hey, I want a hybrid option, which I am offering. Like You, you can find some hybrid options. So it also may, it's important that it work for you, not only from a monetization perspective, but also from a tooling perspective. Many times a consumption-based approach is hard to implement. You have to create instrumentation. The instrumentation has to feed into your billing system. You have to change your quoting system. And then you have to provide invoices for the actual amount used. In capability-based pricing, a lot of the times, this is not required. Therefore, the best situation for you could be something that takes you a year to implement. In Therefore, it automatically becomes something That is very context dependent. Can your company handle waiting a year for that implementation?
0: Moving on from pricing metrics Mm -hmm. into an actual price point. So once you find the the Mm -hmm. right pricing metric that you've settled on, Mm -hmm. it's time to find the right price points. Yeah.
1: Where would you even start? I think it's a mix of a few different ways you can look at a price point. Again, I'm, I start with the market. Like, is it an established market or is it sort of an open market? If it's an established market where there's a lot of competition, you have fewer degrees of freedom. The only ways you can have degrees of freedom is when you have more options to sell and you create a multi-product offering. If you are in a blue ocean environment where people don't really know about the category, then you have a more chance to establish value that is proportionate to the ROI. So first, it's important to see which market you are in. Then you can have a hypothesis around the sort of pricing that you offer one hypothesis can be generated from competition or in some some sort of a blue ocean environment you're doing some value analysis back of the envelope and saying okay i want to capture let's say 10 percent of this and so on then you would want to test it across your customer segmentation testing can be done in person through interviews let's say testing is done in person and or you know through survey methods the type of questions are very similar You can have like a standard set of questions, four question set is called Van Westendorf, where you're basically asking them to give you a range of prices that are okay for them. Or you can have a conjoint analysis approach, which basically is a forced ranked approach. You're giving them multiple options. It's sort of like hot or not. Choose this, yes. Choose between two, two other options, choose the other option. And once you've given them enough permutation combinations to select from, on the back, you're sort of doing some calculations to figure out what their preference is. I do some of this for B2B companies within a deck, right? I will do in-person conversations and I will do four strand exercises or exercises where I force them to distribute, let's say $100 so that it's sort of a conjoint, but since my sample size is lower for a B2B SaaS company, I, I'm having them go through that in person. Ajit,
0: it has been a, a great pleasure having you on the podcast today. And to my listeners, I highly recommend looking into Ajit's book called Price to Scale. I, w- I will put a link in the description for those interested. Again, thanks for being my guest, Ajit, and I hope to speak with you soon.